0: morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, to be with God's people, a foretaste of heaven. As we gather before the saints triumphant who are in heaven even now around the throne of God with the myriads upon myriads of angels, we come to that heavenly Jerusalem in Jesus Christ, beloved. What a great privilege we have. If you would now please turn in God's holy word to The book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 8, I had envisioned going through chapter 11 a little quicker than than I have been, but I was slow in my progress this week, so we're only going to get through verses 8 through 10 of chapter 11. We've been looking at Hebrews now for some time, I believe this is 32 sermons or 33 sermons, We've seen that in the book of Hebrews, the the preacher, the argument is that Jesus is better. Jesus is superior to all that preceded him. For the preacher, the author is writing to Christians, Hebrew Christians, who are struggling in their faith. They're being persecuted. Some have lost property and possessions. They've been exiled and mocked and scorned. The writer tells us they have not yet participated in the shedding of blood but perhaps that's on the horizon so he he sets down to write to them to remind them that Jesus is better because they were tempted to go back to the the types and and the shadows of the old covenant which was comfortable which was secure which was familiar but he writes to remind them that in these last days God has spoken his final word in Jesus Christ his son Jesus is better and in chapter 11 the preacher illustrates for us the, the saints of old. He, he pulls out the family album, if you will, to show us the, the pictures of the saints who, who overcame through their testimony in the blood of the Lamb, in the Old Covenant, that is in the Old Testament. We define faith that they had as an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen. By faith, the saints of old gained their approval. And we've already looked at three saints. We looked at last week, Abel, who was Christ-centered in his worship. He worshiped according to the word of God. We also looked at Enoch, who knew God. He, he walked with God. We said that faith was a relational thing. It's not just a holding to right doctrines. It's knowing God of the doctrine. It's knowing him and walking with him. And then lastly, we saw Noah, that Noah also obeyed God. He heard the command. And he set himself to obey God. Now, beginning in verse 8, we come to the patriarch Abraham himself, the the father of all of those who would have faith in the triune God through Jesus Christ. Paul's chief example of faith in Romans and in Galatians. And he, like Enoch, walked with God. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, says this about Abraham. God says, Abraham, he's my friend. Oh, isn't that beautiful to hear that God has friends and Abraham is one of them? So now we pick up in verse 8 of chapter 11, continuing, looking at this faith that overcomes, the faith that gets the victory, the faith that perseveres to the end. It doesn't just start well, but finishes as well. Let's look now to chapter 11, verse 8. This is the word of the living triune God. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer or maker and builder is God. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and infallible word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please join me. Let us seek our Father and ask His blessing and His Holy Spirit. O our God, you who are the fear of Isaac, you who are the great reward and the portion of your people, you who are the Lord, our righteousness, we come before you, O living God, in our living Savior, raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation, the one who has gone before us into the holy place, the holy of holies, bringing not the blood of bulls and goats, but bringing the blood of himself as prophet, priest, and king. Who's been given a priesthood not in the order of Aaron and Levi, but in the order of Melchizedek, which has no beginning nor end of days. There is no God like our God. So we come to you in Jesus Christ, O living God, asking that you would come in your Holy Spirit and give me wisdom and courage to make plain your word, that your people might be equipped for every good work, that we might not be those who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but that we might deeply be richly planted in Jesus Christ and be like trees planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season. Be with us now, we pray. Cause your face to shine on us, and may we sense your presence in your Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, in whom all the promises of God are yes and amen. Amen. Back when we looked at chapter Eleven verse one of defining faith we we mentioned and we saw in the Word of God that saving faith that is justifying faith right because we we're, we're, I put these modifiers on it because in the Word of God you will find the word faith used in a in a, a varied way. there are all kinds of faith, but there's only one kind of saving justifying faith, and we said that saving justifying faith has a future-oriented dimension. And there's no better example in the Bible of this future-oriented aspect of faith than Abraham. You see, Abraham left all to follow God. He left his home, he, he left his family, he left safety, and he left security. By faith, Abraham exchanged the familiar for the unfamiliar, the unknown Rather, the known for the unknown. Simply by trusting God and His promises, having an assurance, right? Now listen for the future aspect. Having an assurance of the things hoped for. Who hopes for what he sees? We don't. We see it. Faith is visible. We no longer have hope because it's now been made manifest. But who hopes for what he sees? But Abraham had this assurance of things hoped for, the conviction... The validation of things not seen. As we've been looking at faith, I've been reading various theologians for the definition of faith. It kind of coincides with this theme of of a future aspect of faith. Typically we like to look back, and faith does look back, on the finished once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. My righteousness is there. My righteousness died in Jesus Christ. He was raised in Jesus Christ and now lives in Jesus Christ in heaven. He is my righteousness. One definition I came across is this, it's, it's seeing the promises of God from afar. It's a glad greeting of those promises from a distance and a heart seeking to know them and cherish them and be satisfied by them so that a new kind of life emerges that is out of sync with this present world. Well, this morning I'd like to look at this and explore further with you this this future aspect of faith as it's seen in our father Abraham under these three headings. Faith, first and foremost, answers the call of God. Faith, first and foremost, answers the call of God, verse 8. Secondly, faith perseveres through life as a sojourner, as a pilgrim. As a resident alien in this world, that's verse 9, and then verse 10, faith looks forward to the city of God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the better country. So first, faith answers the call, faith perseveres through life as a sojourner, and faith looks forward to the city of God. So first, faith answers the call, verse 8, of God. Like Noah before him, Abraham heard the call of God and answered. And here the preacher is reflecting on the chapter that Mr. Jones read from Genesis chapter 12. On that call of Abraham from Haran after he had left Ur of Chaldees. We're told in verse 8 of Hebrews 11, by faith, right, having the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he, Abraham, went out not knowing where he was going. We see here that Abraham's obedience flowed from his faith. Abraham obeyed God, and a fruit of that obedience, right? A fruit of that faith, rather, was obedience to the call of God. Faith was the root, and Abraham's obedience was the fruit of his faith. Sovereign gaze called Abraham, and Abraham answered God with an obedient faith. Now, we might be tempted to think, well, Abraham was such a wonderful guy. (laughs) He was a good dude. We might be tempted to think that that God chose him because of that. But hardly, right? We, we know of just two examples, right? That incident there in Egypt, the misstep, right? He goes to Egypt without consulting the living God during the famine, and then when he gets there, he lies about Sarah, his wife, saying, well, you know, my life could be in danger. I, I want you to lie, Sarah, and tell Pharaoh that you're my sister. And then there is that little incident you might call Hagar, That gives us a little pause on regarding just how pure and lily-white Abraham was. No, saints, the Bible is clear that Abraham, like all of us, was anything but perfect. Listen to Joshua 24 as it paints the portrait for us of who Abraham was prior to his call of God there in Genesis 12. Joshua is speaking to the people there before they enter into their victory there in the promised land. Long ago your fathers lived beyond the The sun, the moon, and the stars. Then I called your father Abraham and led him into the land of Canaan and made his offspring numerous. You see, Abraham was an idolater, just like all of us, prior to the call of God. He served and worshipped the creation rather than the creator who is forever blessed. It's exactly what Paul wrote in Romans 3. What's true of Abraham is true of us, that all have turned aside, and there, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's, there's not a righteous man, woman, or child in all the earth. You see, Abraham was saved, beloved, because God chose him, and God granted him faith and repentance to believe the promise just like Abraham, all of us, apart from Christ, are dead in sins and trespasses, and without God, carrying out the desires, as it said in Ephesians two of the flesh and mind, and we were prior to our call by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, Ephesians says, Paul says, two four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. You see, grace saved Abraham just like it saved us. So Abraham's 75 years old. He leaves everything, leaving Haran in the rearview mirror along with his home, his family and friends to follow God. And I love that second part of verse 8, not knowing where he was going not knowing where he was going. The only thing Abraham knew was that God had called him. He knew that God had called him, and he obeyed. Beloved, God does not just call us to just believe some abstract facts about him. God calls us to follow him, to know him, to to walk with him like Enoch, like Noah, like Abel, like Abraham, and all the patriarchs, to know God, to walk with him. Like in the Gospel of Matthew when the Lord Jesus is going through Galilee and he sees the young tax collector Matthew there and he says, come and follow me. Or he sees the men on the the Sea of Galilee, Peter and Andrew and the rest of the disciples, fishermen, and he calls them to come and follow him. So Abraham, like all of us right, who have obeyed Christ, Left with more questions and answers and perplexity in tow and he, he had heard the call of God. He obeyed and left everything familiar for the great unknown. And what a challenge for us, for us who love to control. love who Those who, who love security, who, who know the very next step, who plan out and map out each of our lives with great detail in the very minutia of life. Here's Abraham believing, and by faith he went and obeyed God. You see, this is exactly what saving faith does and is willing to do. James reflects on this relationship between Abraham's faith and works in chapter 2 of James. Notice what he says about Abraham in his obedience to God as the fruit of his faith. You see that faith was active along with Abraham's works. And his faith was completed by his works. You see, obedience is faith's daughter. Obedience is the fruit of faith. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And Abraham obeyed and he got busy obeying God and walking with God. And I thought to myself, as we reflect, many of us could reflect on our own lives Could you in a hundred years imagine 30 years ago where you would be today in your walk with God? Had not God been so faithful? Has he not been so kind and so gracious to each one of us? In the valleys, in the dark times, hasn't his love been a love that had not let us go? Has he not been faithful? Has he not shown himself kind and gracious in all of your Misgivings and misunderstandings, and all of your sin, has he not been gracious to us and shown us covenant mercy? Well, secondly, faith perseveres through a life as a sojourner. Faith perseveres through life as a sojourner. The hymn writer says, This world, rather, this is my Father's world. And yet, the world is not the Christian's ultimate destination. We know that becoming a Christian is just the beginning of the journey. The Christian life is to be lived out in the world, but our lives are not to be characterized by the unbelieving world, right? We don't have, our desires are not to be the desires of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life. But as God's children in Christ, we, we desire the holy things of God. We are a pilgrim people, sojourners, exiles, resident aliens. For the church is an outpost of heaven, and we're to be the salt and light of the world. We're to be the ambassadors of, Of Jesus Christ, as Pastor Sloan prayed, that we would be a going people. We would be active doing our Father's business for the night soon cometh when no man may work. That men might see our good works and praise our Father in heaven. I want you to notice the description of Abraham's life in the land of Canaan. Notice what happens in verse 9. By faith, that is, having the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, we're told that Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. You see, Abraham, by believing the promise, he persevered by continuing to breathe the promise. He didn't stop believing God. He continued to walk with God. He continued to trust God leaning into god leaning into his promise and notice upon arriving in the land he arrives in the lands inhabited by the canaanites a a people who know not god so abraham does not take immediate possession of the land and by the way he never did verse 13 he died in faith having not received the things promised only seeing them from afar You see, Abraham lives out his days, not as a landowner, but rather as a stranger in a foreign land, in the very land God had promised, but had not yet given. You see, Abraham, like us, received God's promise, and by faith he lived out all of his days upon that promise, even though he had not yet received the reality of that promise. And even after the birth of Isaac, and subsequently the birth of his grandson Jacob, who themselves were co-heirs with him of the same promise, Abraham's still living in tents. He's constantly on the move. Husbands, try that out on your wife. Tell her you're going to go. You don't know where you're going. Just God's called you, and you're going to live in a tent. (laughs) And you're going to sojourn in this strange land because God has called you to go. You see, saints, our father Abraham lived out all his days clinging by faith to God's promise as a foreigner in his own land. Even when the time came to bury Sarah, he had to purchase a burial plot from the land of the Canaanites because he still did not own anything at that point. By faith, Abraham reminds us that faith does not see the end at the beginning, yet it trusts in the promises of God imperfectly, even when it cannot see nor imagine how God will fulfill His promise. You see, faith believes the promise of God amidst all the hardships, failures, and difficulties, but faith gets the victory. Nothing proves this true validity of our faith like trials and tribulations, right? Suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character hope. And Spurgeon has a a wonderful sermon on this text about the happy Christian life. And I want you to listen to Spurgeon as he speaks about the faith that saves, the justifying faith, the assurance of things hoped for, this future aspect of faith. Spurgeon says, The worldling blesses God when he gives him plenty, but the Christian blesses God when he smites him. For the Christian believes God to be too wise to err, too good to be unkind. The Christian, they trust him where they cannot trace him. They look up to him in the darkest hour and believe all that is well. You see, the Christian continues to trust. Even amidst all the darkness, all the perplexity, all the doubts, all the unknowns, the Christian continues to trust. And Abraham as our father an example of a Christian who trusted in this living God in an unbelieving world, who knew this world was not his home, just like the world is not our home. You see, we like Abraham, are pilgrims, strangers in alien country. Philippians 3:20, our citizenship's in heaven, and we eagerly wait a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our ultimate allegiance in this world is to the kingdom of God. This is why we're always praying, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth." As it is in heaven. You see, our permanent residence is not of this age. This is why we're always longing. There's a longing within every Christian for heaven, a, a growing homesickness, if you will, for our true home. Yes, we're called to be in the world for such a time as this, right? To to do justly, to to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God, but there's a tension we're to do all these things but there's a tension because we know all the while that our true home is in heaven so we're pilgrims we're we're aliens we're looking for a heavenly country a heavenly jerusalem we're in the world for its good but we're not of the world so there's this tension that marks our way and if we're honest the the weariness of this tension living as pilgrims is not easy Right? Who, who ever thought camping was easy? Right? To live in a tent, to be a, a sojourner, a pilgrim, an exile. Have you ever spent a weekend in a tent? <laughs> Anyone who's ever spent a weekend in a tent knows no one has ever mistaken a tent for a home. And yet that's what we're called to be, pilgrims, to hold on loosely to the things of this world, to hold on to the riches of this world loosely, to use them, to steward them for the glory of Christ and his kingdom. You see, this desire to put down roots, though, and this striving for our best lives now is always before us. It's in the air we breathe. It's in the water we drink. That's why we must be feeding our faith on the promises of God all the time. That's why we must be bombarding ourselves, overwhelming our hearts with the word of God continually, delighting in his goodness, delighting in his love, surrounding ourselves with, with fellow pilgrims, fellow brothers and sisters who who have this same mindset of being a pilgrim people. Listen to Kent Hughes as he reflects on this pilgrim mindset. The life of faith demands that we live in dissonance with the unbelieving world. Vibrant faith is always accompanied by and with a sense of unease a pervasive in-betweenness, a sense of being a camper. It's a dangerous thing when a Christian begins to feel permanently settled in this world. This morning I ask you, are you too settled in this world? Are your hopes too anchored to the things of this world? Beloved, the good news of the gospel is that as we go through this life as pilgrims, as we reside in this world, in between the already not yet, in this tension, just like Abraham, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. I will be with you to the end of the age. You see, that's our confidence, that's our hope, just like in Genesis 15, 1 in the NIV, I don't usually quote the NIV, but it's it's good here. As Abraham tells, rather, as God tells his friend Abraham, he says, Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward, you see. So faith answers the call of God, and faith perseveres through life as a sojourner. But how? How did Abraham persevere? What was Abraham's motivation? What was the carrot on the end of the stick, if you will? What gave him the motivation to persevere, to not give up, and not to bankrupt his faith, to shipwreck his faith? That's the third point. Faith looks forward to the city of God. Faith is a forward-looking faith to the city of God. Verse 10, notice what it says in verse 10. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations. (laughs) I thought every city had foundations. No. There's only one city that will be standing at the end of all of human history, and that's the city of God. Because when the storm of God's wrath comes on this world on the last day, all those other cities will be washed out. Just like all the other kings and rulers of this age will be washed out, but there'll be one king, there'll be one city. He was looking forward to this one city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You see, Abraham had a vision, a larger vision than the hope of the land of Canaan. Canaan was never the ultimate goal for Abraham. Now, no doubt, many nights Abraham... (laughs) got up in the middle of the night, if you ever slept in a tent, you'd pull that tent covering back, you go out at night, he'd look at the stars above and he'd wonder to himself, when will God, my friend, make his promise true for me? When will he make good on his promise? No doubt that's what Abraham asked in his heart of hearts. And verse 10 tells us that by faith Abraham lifted up his eyes upward to a better, more distant city, to a, a city far surpassing anything he's ever seen before, a city with foundations, a city not built with human hands, but by the Lord of heaven. It's called a, a better country in verse 16. In chapter 13, 14, it's called a lasting city. And we saw in Hebrews 4, It's also called the saint's everlasting rest. By faith, Abraham saw him who is invisible and his city. And there he placed his hope. He got through all the adversity. Some of the adversity was his own doing. All the trials, all the tribulations, by keeping his focus on the city and the builder of the city, the living God. He kept his eyes on eternity he considered his earthly life in this life in light of its internal inheritance. John MacArthur says this, The Christian is willing to forsake present glory, comfort, and satisfaction of this present world for the future glory that is in Christ. How? What makes the Christian willing to make such sacrifices? Because his hope is based on faith that the future holds something better for the Christian. Do you believe that, church? that something better is held out for you this morning in Jesus Christ, that you can hold on to the captain of your salvation because he has gone to prepare a place for you. And if he has gone to prepare a place for you, he will come again to receive you and take you to be with him where he is. Just like Christian in Bunyan's progress, right? He leaves the city of destruction. And what's in his eye? It's the city of God above All the temptations, all the hardships that are before him. Mark his way, mocking of friends, mocking of even his wife and his family. He's wearied by the hill of difficulty. He's almost driven back by lions. And how did he overcome? By faith he overcame as he looked forward to the city that has a foundation, a city whose designer and builder is God's. You see, saints, if we're going to persevere in the Christian life, then we, like Abraham must keep our eyes on the prize, the glory of the city of God and the God who dwells there. So this morning, if by faith you are in union with Jesus Christ, this is your inheritance. is this city, this city of God, this better country, this everlasting rest that's held out before you. The way through the trials of this life, the not yet of this life, All those things that attend our path is to keep our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith, the the captain of our great salvation, our great high priest. So saving faith answers the call. Saving faith perseveres through the world as a sojourner, and we do so by faith looking forward to the city. I want to close this morning by just reading for you a little bit about this city, this city of God that God is preparing for those who love him. Listen to Revelation 12, rather Revelation 21, 1 through 7, and then a little bit from Revelation 22, 1 through 5. This is John on the Isle of Patmos for his testimony to the Lamb. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the city was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, "'Look, God's dwelling is with man, and he will live with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more.' "'Grief, crying, and pain will be no more "'because the previous things have passed away. "'Then the one seated on the throne said, "'Look, I am making everything new. "'He also said, "'Right, because these words are faithful and true. "'Then he said to me, "'It is done. "'I am the Alpha and the Omega, "'the beginning and the end. "'I will freely give to the thirsty "'from the spring of the water of life. "'The one who conquers will inherit these things.' And I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then Revelation 22, 1-5. Then he showed me the river of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Blessed be the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, there is no God like you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who has gone to prepare a place for us. And he will come again to bring us to be with you in the new heavens and the new earth forevermore. With all of those who by faith gained your approval. And Lord, we thank you that until then that we are not orphans. You've left with us the Holy Spirit, your very own Holy Spirit that cries out within us, Abba, Father, we pray now and ask that you would give us grace to persevere, to run the race with endurance, to be faithful to the very end. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray and we would ask all of this for your glory and our good. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit now. Amen.